Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive of rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know, it's a common misconception that drinking eight glasses of water a day is enough for healthy hydration. But sweat consists of water and sodium, which means that you need water plus electrolytes to stay properly hydrated. Thankfully, there are products like Element that have all your electrolyte needs covered. You can try an Element Recharge Sample Pack by going to drinklmnt.com slash Alexi for only the cost of shipping. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, well, obviously, Copa America final, Euros final, the Gold Cup, co-ed soccer, water skiing, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, July 12th in the year 2021? I am doing well as our summer of soccer rolls on. Yeah, we uh, we dovetailed right into a, another tournament and it all happened in one one ad break, basically, with our Fox coverage of Copa America going right into Gold Cup. Literally on the same day, we transitioned into a new tournament. So, um, but it's great. And I love it. And we're off uh, off with Gold Cup. But we do have to put to, to rest two major tournaments and you know, two major talking points when it comes to the world of soccer. And uh, we will do that to start off the show. Mossy, you watching anything interesting uh, lately? I know we're working hard on all these tournaments and that takes up most of our time. But have you found a way to at least uh, uh, de-stress a little bit and watch anything? Only this uh, British show I mentioned last week, Top Boy. And even then, the, the pace has really slowed down because of all the work we've had. But um, I'll be finishing that soon and I can move on to something else. But yeah, very, very good. Uh, very happy with it. Okay. Um, I finished Downton Abbey. All right. So I am so far ahead of you. It's ridiculous. <laughs> You're the one that suggested this. I, I took it and ran with it. Okay. And you know, once I start, I can't stop something like this, even if it's bad. It, it, it's it's not bad. We will save our, our real Downton Abbey deep dive for later on when you have finished this. But I watched, not only did I watch every single episode, but I watched the special episodes. And I then, I, it, this was on uh, Netflix. And then I went over to HBO and watched the actual Downton uh, Abbey movie. So I am fully immersed in the whole Downton Abbey culture. And by the way, I have seen the movie. Even without having watched oh, the television you, show, are you kidding? I went me? with my mother because she's a fan a few years ago to see the movie, and 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 actually quite enjoyed it without even knowing the background and all the characters. So, 
Oh my goodness. All right. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it later on. Um, let's see. Uh, Eliza Matsunaga, one, uh, Once Upon a Crime, a new documentary on Netflix. Uh, you will appreciate because I know you like documentaries. This is a crime documentary about a wife who murdered her, uh, uh, her husband and dismembered him. And it actually happens in Brazil. It's all in, in Portuguese with uh, English subtitles. It was interesting. I thought it was a little too long, uh, but I, I do recommend that. And then over on the Peacock Network, uh, I just finished up Epstein's Shadow. Uh, Jelaine Maxwell, who you will know her was his, I guess, co-conspirator, if you will, in the uh, sex trafficking uh, situation with uh, Jeffrey Epstein and that whole sordid mess. But that was interesting. And that's a documentary over there on uh, on Peacock. So there's a couple of suggestions for you, Mossy. Okay, shall we, uh, shall we light this candle? Let's do it. So much to talk about. Uh, we're going to try to get through it. We're going to try to, once again, because Mossy's got a lot of things to do. We're, we're right back at it today as the Gold Cup rolls on. So we're going to try to get in and out of here in a, uh, you know, a reasonable uh, time and not, uh, and not go long. But we do uh, want to start off with these, these two titles, one in South America and one in Europe. We're going to start with, uh, with Copa America. And it happened, Mossy. It finally happened. As much as we talked about um, the potential of it coming home, well... In a certain sense, it, it it didn't come home, but it was it was gifted to Messi, and Argentina finds a way in the final against Brazil in the Maracanã uh, to cast off all of those uh, those demons, and I guess most importantly, and the biggest story of this, and I think it just shows how big Lionel you know, Messi is, is that. It was about him much more so than about Argentina. And I think I think everybody understands why. This is, you know, this is a man and a player who has given us so much. And yet, as we've said, this box was left unchecked for so long. And it was armed in a way and used by by so many over the years to point to as to why he isn't this or in the argument about the greatest ever. And to see him get that moment in that way. And, and by, by that, I mean, for so long, it's been Messi doing everything in his power and his powers are supernatural to try to get this team to win and failing and in the process being failed by his supporting cast in this final against Brazil. It was his supporting cast that carried him in that Messi was innocuous. He was invisible for most of the game. You're not going to put this in a time capsule for him as, you know, one of the great performances. And yet I felt throughout it all that there was this responsibility that was accepted by his teammates that this is something we are going to do for you. And in doing so, we are going to give you the greatest gift uh, in this missing piece of the messy uh, puzzle. And I do think, look, uh, I, I know you and your uh, Brazilian uh, folks, and even some of the Brazilian folks, you, you lose a final and, and it hurts. But I think the general sentiment out there and the sentimental favorite was, um, for obvious reasons, Messi. And I think the world in a strange way, not in a strange way, I guess, but in a way celebrated this and were joyful that he was given this gift by his teammates and he had this moment. And you could see it in the celebration and in his reaction, how much it meant to him. And we've talked so much about the pressure and this 
this burden that he has carried uh, and the albatross around his neck. And to have that removed and lifted, um, it was wonderful to see. It was wonderful to see that burden melts away in real time as the final whistle blew and he was able to say that he won a major trophy uh, for Argentina. What were your thoughts, Mossy? And, uh, you know, as a as a Brazilian to see that to see that happen. You are you are a Brazilian, but you are not without a heart and you are not without sentiment and romance. And so even part of you can recognize and celebrate that moment, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, first off, as to the game itself, before I move on to the ramifications of the result, uh, I was not the least bit surprised. Uh, anybody that wants to go back and listen, I've spent the last month on this podcast arguing that this Brazil team wasn't that good, pointing out all the flaws saying that if they faced Argentina, it would be a 50-50 game. And that's exactly what it was. And I was even more pessimistic when the team sheet came out and I saw Christian Romero and Angel Di Maria in the Argentina starting lineup because Romero is their best center back. And the fact that he was fit enough to start was a major boost. And then uh, Di Maria, I suppose uh, you can give Scaloni credit for that one. But to me, it was pretty obvious. Uh, Every minute of this tournament that Argentina didn't have Di Maria on the field was Scaloni doing a favor to the other team because I know he likes Nicolas Gonzalez and he tracks back and does a lot of the dirty work, but I'm sorry. In a final like this, you got to go with pedigree. And Di Maria is a big game player, a big time player still. And so I was very nervous about him being in there from the start. And sure enough, he gets the goal on a play that I know became a big source of contention between you and Ali Wagner in terms of how much credit should go to Rodrigo de Paul's pass and how much was it just a, a blunder by Brazil's left back, Renan Lodi? Do you want to uh, give your, your take on that play? <laughs> yeah, we were, we were arguing on and off air about it. And she, you know, she, I think she comes at it from a, a, a point of view that you have to have the ability to see the pass and that there is value in seeing that pass. And that value comes from, um, you know, the coaching of saying, hey, this is going to be on. You need to look for it and making sure that the players within that moment have the wherewithal to see it. That the pass was was not executed well. That's where I think the, uh, the big disagreement uh, came. She looks at that as a good pass. And she looks at it as, you know, because... Because that angle and because of that, you know, behind the left back diagonal ball is there and they are looking for it, that there is value to that. I don't find the value unless you are able to accurately hit that ball, which which did not happen in that point. To your point, Lode completely, you know, messed up his lines. All he had to do was either trap the ball, head the ball, kick the ball. I mean, literally just touch the ball. Instead, it went right underneath him. So if I pass you the ball, Okay, and I pass it under an opponent. Okay, that's not necessarily a good pass. That's just the soccer gods. That's just luck. That's just serendipity. That's just serendipity. So that was that was my point. And we went back and uh, back and forth. And she she saw it as a much more beautiful play than I did. And I looked at it as you know Brazil lost this game on an individual error. Okay, and. Uh, you know, to all of the things that you're talking about are absolutely true. You know, Di Maria, I don't think that there's been someone, you know, playing on that off wing, playing on the right-hand side, but being a left-footed player. I mean, we've seen Ari- Arian Robin and those types of players. But since Arian Robin, you know, that that type, 
I mean, it's not different playing uh, off, you know, players on their off wings that that cut in and and uh, to their preferred foot. Inverted winger, they call. What do you call it? I don't. I don't like to call inverted it. Inverted I, I, I like to call it an off wing. Okay, because that's what we call it in hockey. Inverted wing. Okay. Whatever. I call it an off wing. But you, you, know, you everybody understands what we're talking about here. You're playing a uh, a left a left footed player on the right side, and it 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 creates all sorts of different types of problems and different types of angles there. And to your point, he was, he was phenomenal when he was, uh, when he was on the field. Uh, speaking of the field, by the way, Moss, there was a lot of talk in this tournament about the field. I do not think that the field at Maracanã helped Brazil. I didn't think it was good. Aesthetically, it looked good, but I didn't think it played, uh, played well at all throughout the game. I thought it made it that much more difficult to control, and I think it worked against a team like uh, Brazil that wanted to control the ball and had plenty of the ball. And, and, and let's be honest, you know, Argentina had their moment, scored their goal, and Brazil couldn't find something, and they ran out of time ultimately. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, if Argentina scored the first goal, it was going to be a problem because this Brazil team is pretty inept offensively. And, you know, the, the, the issue with this Neymar being more of a playmaker, bow and arrow type thing is that he has to drop back so deep to pick up the ball and that it's hard for him to go on these darting runs. And, and, and it gives the opposition a chance to foul him in not that dangerous of a position because he's starting from so deep that, you know, he gets past one, gets past the other, and then somebody invariably hacks him down and you're still a long way from goal. And, and even, you know, if he, if he is able to beat all his men and, and evade the tacklers and not get fouled at the end of the play, you, you still have to invariably the, the defense collapse on him. He has to lay it off to somebody else. And then you need that somebody else to come through. And, and Brazil just didn't have that player in this tournament. Richarlison, was frankly a disaster. And I, I now get to watch him fluff chances at a, another tournament because he's in the Olympic squad, which starts in 10 days. Um, Everton, who was a breakout player at the last Copa America, was was terrible in this one. And, and, and I said this last week, and I'll reiterate, Gabriel Jesus being suspended ended up being a big loss. I would have much rather have had Gabriel Jesus on that field than Everton. Uh, and, and even to circle back to left back, you know, uh, Chichi doesn't totally trust Renan Lodi defensively. And I suspect had Alexandro been completely fit, he might have started that final to match up with Di Maria. And look, he's not exactly Paolo Maldini, so he could have made a mistake as well. But uh, that's also another factor that Lodi ended up starting. And, and that, that was a bad matchup with him and Di Maria out there in space. So, um, but yeah, I, I just think Brazil's ineptitude really offensively really came back to bite him. Um, you know, it's a team that had to grind out one nil wins in the quarters and semis against uh, Chile and Peru. And you saw some of the weaknesses there, the inability to create the dependence on Neymar. Uh, and so, you know, it's why, interestingly enough, a lot of people in the Brazilian media are saying that this is actually a good loss for this to happen the year before the World Cup, because had Brazil figured out a way to win this game, Chichi might have come out of this tournament thinking the team is in better shape than it is and not change much moving forward. Well, I think there still is a lot of work to do, and, and maybe losing this final will, will will provide the impetus for Chichi to try out some different players. I mentioned the Olympic team. There's a striker on that team, Mateus Cunha, who I like, who if he has a good Olympics, maybe that could be a springboard to being a factor in World Cup qualifying moving forward. There are some other strikers in Brazil, a guy named Pedro who deserves a look. There are some different players in the midfield. I, I still don't can't believe that Fred was a starter for Brazil in this tournament. Uh, there are definitely two or three other players I would have picked ahead of him. So there's still some work to be done for Brazil. And, you know, bearing in mind that Brazil and Argentina 
are in different places as soccer nations. And that, that's not me trash talking. That's just the reality of it. Brazil have won five of the last 10 Copa Americas. They won the last one at home two years ago. They've won uh, four Confederations Cups, which I know is a c- competition that people spent uh, the last couple of days uh, diminishing because they wanted the storyline that Neymar was also going for his first senior international title. I, I don't agree with that at all. I think the Confederations Cup counts. So you were there in 2013 at the Maracanã, right? when Brazil beat Spain, yeah, or at least yeah, yeah. to cover that final for <laughs> Oh, no, we did it from uh, Bristol. Or I think we did it from Bristol. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that, that is and was, I guess, I guess that was a major tournament. I absolutely count that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's coming back because uh, they, they need the space in the calendar for the Club World Cup right. that Johnny Infantino is cooking up. But nevertheless, so Brazil is in this place right now where it's, it's really all about the World Cup and 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 Brazil has its own drought going, which is a World Cup drought going back to 2002, and that's what they want to put an end to. And so all these other competitions are viewed through the lens of preparing for the World Cup. So you know, while Argentina, because they haven't won anything in the last 28 years, it sort of elevated the importance of these other competitions because they just wanted to win something. And so you saw the celebrations the last couple of days; they were befitting of a, of a World Cup title and the way people were pouring on the streets of into the streets of Buenos Aires, that's not something you typically see associated with winning a Copa America, but it just speaks to how much it meant to, to Messi and how much it meant to that country to just win something. And so in, in your analysis of the final, that sort of has to be taken into account. I, I, I agree it's a painful defeat for Brazil, but I would look at it this way. For Argentina, it was about winning the Copa America. And the fact that it came against Brazil just added another layer to it. But if they had played anybody in that final one, it would have been very significant and Messi still would have been crying and so happy that he won something for Argentina. In the case of Brazil, it wasn't about winning the Copa America. It was about them not wanting to lose to Argentina at the Maracanã in a game that everybody was watching. Uh, so, so the opponent is what lent way to the game. If Brazil, if we're being honest, if they had faced somebody else in that final, there would have been a ho-hum feeling of, okay, Brazil winning another Copa America at home. It wouldn't have been that big a deal. So I think in, in analyzing this result, you, you know, Brazil, it's, it, it, it's, frustrating, it's irritating, but you can easily sort of spin it forward and view it through the lens of preparing for what really, really matters, which is the World Cup the following year and and what lessons need to be learned here and where they go from there. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, one of the questions that we had, well, we had scheduled to talk about um, on our pregame show uh, was whether, where this leaves Brazil and, and Argentina relative to the rest of the world, because this is, as you said, always with an eye to the World Cup. And we're, what, 14 months away from uh, uh, from uh, the World Cup in Qatar in November and December of 2022. And, you know, when we're comparing and contrasting with other teams out uh, out there, where do you see them? I mean, I know you just said that Brazil needs to do some things, but when we're looking at that pecking order right now, how do you come out of this Copa America looking at uh, a team like Brazil and Argentina? I think both still have some work to do. I mean, because it's Brazil, because it's Argentina, and because they have players like Neymar and Messi to build around, that's a good starting point. And Brazil also has a very solid back line. So uh, when you don't concede a lot of goals, you always have a shot going deep in major tournaments. But uh, I see both these teams as still lacking enough quality to to win a World Cup, uh, especially contrasting with what we saw from the Euros. So I, I still think there are four or five teams in the Euros that I would rank above either Brazil and Argentina. That could change in the next 14 months, but I, I think we come out of this tournament still feeling like the European teams who have dominated uh, the World Cups, so they've won the last four, that they're shaping up to, to be the favorites again in Qatar. All right, before I get your comments on, on Messi, um, I mentioned the fact that we did have a pregame. We had an hour pregame scheduled for our Copa America game. 
And uh, I know a lot of people were, were uh, um, on social media asking me about it because there was a baseball game uh, that was happening before the Copa America. And uh, that hour pregame served, obviously, as getting ready, getting people ready for this, this massive event. But it also served as a buffer. And anybody that has worked in our business, regardless of what sport, okay, understands that events sometimes go long. Sometimes you can anticipate it and sometimes you can't just because of the course of events, uh, events that happen. So that hour-long show also acted as a buffer if and when, uh, in this case it was baseball, went long. Uh, not only did it go long, but it went an hour long, which is, for the most part, unheard of. But it, it can happen. And once again, for those of us that have been around television, it, it has happened. It will happen again. I want everybody to understand, okay, that the protocol when it comes to sports is you stick with the live event that is happening, okay? And that is uh, for respect of the actual sport and of the teams and players involved and of your broadcast partners uh, uh, that you have. And that would have happened if it was a if it was a soccer game going long or in this case it's a baseball game going long. Is it ideal? No, it's not ideal, but it is the way that television works. And um, I know soccer people are going to get bent out of shape, but I just want to make sure that everybody understands that this wasn't this wasn't something against soccer, okay? This was a industry protocol, and it's happened every place that I've gone. We did it. We did it at ESPN, and at times it works to the advantage, I guess, if you will, of whatever game that you love. And at times it doesn't. And doesn't matter if you are a fan of X sport and you're the one that is not seeing your pregame or your game or your game's been changed to another channel. You're going to be up in arms. I get it, but once again. Uh, it happens in every single sport, and the reason that we do it is out of a uh, desire to have respect for the event that is uh, that is going on, and that's what happened. All right, Mossy, Messi, you know, I, I uh, waxed poetic there a little bit earlier about uh, about this moment, uh, and I'll let you uh, finish it up here in terms of what it means to him. Look, Messi is the best player I've ever seen in my life, uh, and I think he has a very good case for being the greatest player of all time. And in my view, he didn't have to win anything with Argentina for that to be the case. But if you're the type of person that thinks that when you're ranking players all time, you hold up the resumes and it does matter that this one's won this and that one hasn't won that. The only thing I'll say is that once upon a time, it was about the World Cup. And in the last few years, uh, Messi devotees have managed to move that goalpost to become win something with Argentina. So... That's kind of interesting to me. Look, it was very, it was amazing scenes. And, and it was so great to see somebody who's brought so much joy to people over the years, be that happy himself. And even me as a Brazilian, you know, that even tugged at my heart. So I, I don't want to in any way diminish his joy that he's feeling right now. But when, in terms of this, the, the logic trail stops with me when people say, oh, now this cements that he's the greatest player of all time. And I don't know, winning a Copa America. I, 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 I sort of feel like, there, there are people that woke up on Saturday morning thinking Messi's the greatest player of all time, which is a totally valid position to have, and people that don't think he is. And I, I kind of feel like those same groups of people went to bed Saturday night thinking the same thing. It's hard for me to imagine somebody who didn't think he was before, and now because he won a Copa America has changed his view. So I, I do think the idea that this is some legacy-altering 
achievement. I, I, I don't know that that I, I struggle a little bit with that. Uh, I mean, what do you think? I mean, we're we're we're, we're going to cover the World Cup in Qatar, and it, and is it still going to be a, a, a storyline? Well, Messi's never won the World Cup, so he's trying to get that monkey off his back. Or do you look at it as it was just about winning something, and so now that storyline has gone away completely? I think that it became just about winning something because of the recognition that that it's going to be even more difficult for him with this Argentina team to win a World Cup. But certainly, if, if you ask Messi, would you rather win a Copa America or a World Cup? He's going to say uh, he's going to say World Cup. And by the way, you know, part of this whole narrative that is churned for so many years is relative to Diego Maradona. And Diego Maradona won a World Cup, okay? So any way you slice it, there is there is always that. So I think for people that are looking for excuses, they are, they are already built in, they are there. I do think that this, this is additional fodder, this is additional backup for those in the argument. But there is going to be a debate and an argument that, continu- that continues on. To your, to your point, though, I, I think that there was a collective relief. And maybe that's ultimately what it was. It was just a relief. And he is still uh, arguably the greatest player playing the game right now. And now an unburdened Messi, okay, who doesn't have to worry about that. And who knows how much he did or didn't. But even if it's subconscious, an unburdened Messi who knows, look, I I am in the twilight of my international career. And this may be the last go in in uh, Qatar. Who knows? I mean, he, he likes to play and he's been knock on wood healthy, but this may be the last go. If he doesn't feel that he is, as I said, you know, burdened or chasing this and that he can be free, I mean, that's a that's good news. That, I think that is good news for him and for those of us that love watching him and for Argentina ultimately uh, going forward. So uh, I'm excited about this next year, provided they qualify from the World Cup, which you know they're sitting pretty right now, and I think that they think that they will. And to have a Messi that has had that box checked, uh, however much or, or little it means, but that box is checked to have him uh, being go- going into a World Cup. Uh, I'm excited about that. Anything on Copa America before we uh, last move on? thing? Um, everybody by now has seen the Messi Neymar hug, and it was it was beautiful. I mean, we all love that. There was another uh, really classy moment by Messi that I want to highlight. Um, Rodrigo de Paul, who was phenomenal in this final, he was my man of the match. Whatever you think of the pass for the goal, I mean, he played a great game otherwise, but. In the midst of the celebrations, when the players were all dancing and chanting, he started chanting something kind of anti-Brazil, like, and taking a shot at Brazil. And Messi, like, stopped him cold and said, no, no, like, we're not going there, like, which I thought was just speaks to, you know, he's not only a great player, but just a, a great sportsman and just such a classy guy. And, 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 you know, it, it, it you could tell, like he was, he was touched by Neymar and Chi Chi spoke to him and sort of, there was a, there was a real sort of sense of sportsmanship and, and he didn't want anything to disrupt that. So he, he kind of shut that down right away and said, well, we're not going there. Rodrigo de Paul, like, it's not about that like today. So that, that was, I thought a really classy moment on his part. Yep. I mean, there were, there were scenes as they say, and it, it was wonderful to see. And look, we knew there were going to be tears of, uh, of joy and there were going to be tears of, uh, of sadness. And we didn't know where they would you know, play out. And, you know, to see, you know, these two great players who we've talked about all tournament and have basically led their teams, one wins and one loses. Uh, I thought Neymar, you know, handled it, handled it, handled it well. Um, you know, you know uh, in terms of the way that he that he responded, I thought he was I thought he was mature. Now he also might be thinking, okay, 
But needs to stop uh, crying. 14 months so much. from now, I get another, ch- <laughs> I get a chance, and if I have to pick between the two, um, you know, you know which one ultimately you, uh, you want to be there. You won't and, get this. And maybe this will light a fire too, or another fire. You won't him. get this reference, but Neymar has become the Dick Vermeil of international soccer. I mean, he cries all the time now. I mean, he needs to calm down a little bit. <laughs> like every other game, I name where I see him crying on the field. There's a lot of crying. There's, he's a very emotional person, <laughs> Mossy. Okay. He, he, he's, he's very passionate and emotionally wears his heart on his sleeve. And the, you know, these are tears of joy and pain and confusion and <laughs> all the different stuff that goes into being not just one of the great soccer players uh, in history, but just a human being, Mossy. I mean, can't you just let a soccer player be a human being for a second? All right. All right, listen, we had a great time uh, broadcasting uh, Copa America. And as I said, the soccer gods smiled upon us and gave us so much throughout the tournament. And then obviously the final that we wanted and gave us a historic uh, moment and one that we will not soon forget with regards to Messi finally getting his uh, his major trophy. And we'll see what he, he goes on to do with this Argentina team and this Brazil team. And oh, by the way, all the South American uh, teams, it was great to get a uh, a look at them a year and a half out from uh, the World Cup, and we'll see how much they do change uh, and improve um, over this next year as they get ready for Qatar 2022. All right, we move over to Europe and the final of uh, the Euros. Oh, my goodness, Mossy. Where where, where shall we start here? Um, the, the thought was it was coming home. Uh, it's not coming home. So insert your joke. It's coming to Rome, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say. Um, you know, ultimately when I look at this game, I think that the better team won and that doesn't always happen in you know, penalties. And I'm not, once again, I'm not saying that penalties are a crapshoot or just a, uh, a coin toss. That's not true at all. It takes a skill. Um, it takes a mental fortitude that should never be undervalued and certainly not ignored. But on total, uh, when you look at this game, England jumps out in, in, I guess, the best way possible with an early goal. But they either took the foot off the gas or what I think is more likely the case, they came up against a team that regardless of an early goal, it didn't phase them in the least. They recognized the talent that they had. They slowly grew back into the game and not only grew back into the game, but Basically, for the rest of the game, uh, it was it was Italy, Italy, Italy. They got the goal that they needed. And I don't think that England, either from a tactical perspective or a personnel perspective, ever really had the ability and ultimately, I guess, the talent to to fight and combat what Italy is is at this moment is that is that a fair assessment we'll get to the penalties and all the other stuff uh, there but is that a fair assessment in terms of the game in totality oh absolutely yeah um england had a very good first 20 minutes where italy was a bit shell-shocked but then as you said italy grew into the game and, and took control and and they ended up bossing the majority of that match and you came away feeling although it came down to penalties that the better team did win and and you look at the two managers i i must confess I never rated Roberto Mancini that highly before. I kind of thought the trophies he won at Inter and Man- Manchester City, there was an element of just right place, right time. But the job he's done here is one of the great jobs we've ever seen in international football. Taking over um, Italy in the in the state that they were in after missing out on the 2018 World Cup and then building this team that's unbeaten in 34, just won the Euros. 
And, you know, it's a collection of very good players. There isn't that super duper star to, to build around. We talk so much about Messi and Neymar in the Copa America. I mean, this is like the antithesis of that. It's different guys emerging every game. He does have that great center back pairing to, to that, that's the foundation. I mean, Bonucci scored the goal and Chiellini was phenomenal. He was it, to this Italian team, what Cannavaro was in the 2006 World Cup. Uh, but I mean, just the way they played so expansive proactive, going forward, controlling games, just just beautiful football, the type of football I like, fluid possession, with with the one exception of the semis, it must be said, against Spain. And I think uh, having Italy win this tournament really elevates Spain in my eyes because they were the one team all tournament that were able to really take it to Italy and, and, and control that game. Um, but but no, I mean, with that one exception, Italy, every other game, as you said, they were, they were the better team. They, they played really nice football. And so uh, just hats off to Roberto Mancini. Um, and so I was going to move on to Southgate, but you want to say something about Mancini? No. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I share your thoughts. He, I mean, if anybody enhanced and bolstered their, uh, you know, um, the, the way that we view them, it's, it's, it's Mancini and you know, this, this is the, this is the ultimate team. Okay. And, and Italy in, in all of their success and their ups and downs over the years, there has always been stars, and I'm not saying that these aren't these aren't that these aren't stars, and maybe these are stars now that we that we look at. But this was, you know, a a a perfect example of it's not necessarily the best players; it's the best collection of players, and they bought in. And to your point, yeah, there was there was that moment against Spain where they kind of reverted, but for the most part, this was an eye-opening and refreshing type of team to watch, particularly because it's Italy and what we associate uh, with with Italy. So I'm happy for uh, the Italian fans that they have this team, given, as you said, you know, coming from a low point, one of the lowest points, uh, and back 34 uh, and oh, is is pretty amazing considering the competition uh, that they that they have faced over that 34 span. So yeah, it was uh, it, it was great. You know, a lot of the talk is because it's England, it's going to be the team that ultimately lost. When you look at this England team, I, I you know I know there's uh, the inevitable hand wringing and consternation that's going to happen out there for losing, losing a final, losing in penalties, losing at Wembley in a, in in a tournament that you except for one game uh, were able to play <laughs> in uh, in England. Um, there is going to be. A, uh, a a deep dive, and you know we are we are so connected to the English soccer culture, okay, and it permeates almost everything that we do and has for a number of decades. But it's really interesting to see the the you know the reactions, and I mean, I, I love my English friends, love them, love them, love them, and I know that I, I poke them all the time and believe me, they, they, they fire, uh, they fire back, but it was really interesting to see the reaction to this latest loss. And it's, I mean, I guess it's too harsh to call it a failure, but they failed ultimately in, in the moment to, to, to bring it home. And, you know, I, I can't think of a more at times, you know, precious and, you know, self-absorbed and navel-gazing type of uh, type of fan base when it when it comes to the English. You know, and this 
this deep dive that after the uh, after the final uh, penalty into you know why this why this matters and you know the greater significance and the meaning relative to the the country and the culture and the and you know the the social aspects of it and the political aspects of it and all all that kind of stuff you lost a game in penalties okay and yes it hurts and it hurts because you were right there on the cusp of doing something that hasn't been done in so many decades I I understand that but you're not alone in losing in losing finals and other countries and cultures you know don't have this this moment of self-examination in, in a way that has just been amazing over the last uh 24 hours and you know in a way I love it because it certainly means uh that you that that you care but um you know, and and I don't think that they expect the rest of the world necessarily to care, but because we are so bombarded by English and EPL, and it's such a huge part of our of our soccer culture, you it's you you can't avoid it. And at one point, you just want to say, "All right, you lost. All right, well, go on. Hey, you have the opportunity next uh, uh, next November or December to win the big one, uh, if you will." Um, wh- what did you What did you think of Southgate? Because I don't think I mean I. I you may not like Southgate, but he took you to a final, okay? And here's what happens. When you lose, the tactics are bad. <laughs> That's okay? exactly where I was When going. you win, <laughs> the tactics are good, <laughs> right? So, yeah, you, you, you can look at the decisions. No coach makes decisions going, ah, I'm going to really screw my team here, okay? No coach says, ah, the rest of the world thinks I should do this, so I'm going to do this just because the rest of the world thinks this. No. I know this is what we do. We go back and we uh, we Monday morning quarterback. We analyze the decisions uh, decisions that were made, and you know the fact that he made substitutions specifically because if you're making them in the 120th minute, they're specific to players that you feel are going to in that moment step up and take a penalty and and, and put that in. First off, Mossy uh, thoughts on on Southgate. You're you're not in favor of a change before they continue on with qualifying and then go to a World Cup uh, next year, are you? Are you one of those that say he's he's in over his head and this is a perfect indication of why you need somebody better in this position? No, no, definitely not. I mean, he took you to a final, so uh, absolutely would not make a change. But I will say it's been one of the interesting subplots of these Euros has been fans chirping at managers who they felt were overly cautious given the talent they had at their disposal. And Southgate came into some criticism for that. But to your point, it was funny how with the media, depending on the result, they would swing one way or the other. When he would put out a cautious lineup and the, the balls bounced their way and they won, uh, then you know, the media likes to lecture us about, well, that's how you win major tournaments and pragmatism. And no, oh, you fans don't understand it. And then when they lose, then the media jumps on that train and criticizes them for being overly cautious. So you, you, you know, it, you kind of have to pick one side. And I've been on this train all along that I do think he was overly cautious in this tournament. You mentioned the fact that he brought on Rashford and Sancho in the 120th minute, uh, specifically to take a penalty. Why not bring those guys on earlier so they can actually impact the game? So maybe you don't have to go to penalties to have two talented players like that sitting on your bench in that, on that, in that game and not feel the need to bring him on. Uh, so he all throughout the tournament, he made decisions like that, where you look over at that England bench and you see all these amazingly gifted players that could potentially tilt the balance of a match. And, and I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he made as great a use of all this English talent. We've been talking for the last but couple of years. Then, about, aren't you making a case for you need somebody else? I mean, if he has all of this talent and he is not able to utilize it in a consistent way and to the best of their abilities, then he is, you know, he's literally leaving something on, uh, on the uh, on the bench. 
that that's isn't that a problem that he doesn't see these players that are talented as being able to help on a consistent basis other than in the 120th minute coming in to take penalties which by the way they miss yeah but i think that he's still a young manager there's there's room for growth there he can learn those lessons for in the next 14 months uh, i still think that he brings a lot of good qualities i like his overall leadership and demeanor and and so no like i said i, I wouldn't make a change i would just try to pull him aside and say, Hey, you have all this amazing talent. Maybe let's try to make a little bit better use of it, uh, moving forward. Well, you know, I mean, listen, there is, there is plenty of, um, you know, as the Germans say, schadenfreude, right? I mean, there's, uh, there's plenty of folks out there. I, 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 you know, the, I guess the ultimate compliment you can, you can give somebody is that there's as many people that don't like you as like you because they all care because you are so big. And when it comes to England, uh, I know that there were as many people, uh, that were either publicly or secretly saying uh, Forza Italia, that, that were uh, that were cheering for uh, that were cheering for England, and um, you know they will be back. And this is, as you said, this is a team that is stacked with talent. Finding that right combination of players, that's to be to be determined as to whether they can uh, whether they can figure it out, but. I mean, the amount of talent that was utilized, the amount of talent that wasn't utilized, and then, you know, the inevitable, you know, anger and uh, frustration that comes out of not being able to cross over that uh, line. You know, I will say something, you know, the, uh, and I think everybody, you know, has said something and rightfully so, that it is just a sport. And I know we talk about it being a religion and it, and it transcends the sporting world and it has political ramifications and cultural. I, I, I get all that, but, and you know, you could predict it unfortunately because of the world in which we live in, especially when it comes to social media and the platforms that people have and the megaphones that we, we give to pretty much everybody that can, that has a computer and that can, uh, that can type, um, you know, you know, the horrible and vile and disgusting things that were uh, and continue to be said about players who played well, played, not played well, played poorly, uh, missed a penalty and did all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the racial uh, abuse that uh, players are getting, unfortunately, on a consistent basis is, as I said, despicable. And, um, you know, these are, these are not humans. (laughs) Unfortunately, they are, but they're not acting like good and kind humans should towards uh, their fellow man and woman. And it's unfortunate, uh, but it's unfortunately, it's not surprising uh, to see that type of stuff. So uh, these players will benefit from this experience and they, I do think, will get stronger. And this is an England team absolutely that deserves our, uh, our attention. This team in this tournament deserved the attention and the praise that it, uh, that it got. And I do, to your point, think that Gareth Southgate will learn from this process as will his uh, as will his players and they will be stronger for it and i can't wait to see uh, this england team come november and december in qatar and what they bring with that with that fire and the fire that comes from a loss that was painful because it was it was in the palm of their uh, a palm of their hand and they couldn't uh, and they couldn't finish it off uh, anything else uh, from a, a euro standpoint mossy that's it all right, uh, we, uh, we move on, as we say, into uh, Gold Cups. So we're going to take a real quick break, and when we come back, 
Yep, there's a whole new tournament. It started, it's kicked off, and we are well on our way into the 2021 Gold Cup. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Yes, the Gold Cup is upon us. And uh, we uh, we kicked it off with uh, our friends Mexico. And uh, they came out of the shoot, and they weren't great. Um, and they ended up only uh, uh, getting a uh, a zero zero result. Uh, Who did they play, Mossy again? Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> Trinidad and Tobago. Excuse me. Uh, and you you watch that uh, you watch that game, and that's not a good result. That's not a good result for the favorites of this tournament to start off like that. Uh, and in the game, they weren't able to score. Loss of Chucky Lozano, and uh, we're, we're thankful that it wasn't worse, to be quite honest, but he is out for the tournament with uh, facial lacerations and all sorts of stuff, and it looked horrible in the moment, and I'm just so glad that there's no neck or, uh, or let's be honest, brain damage from that, uh, from that moment. But he is out for the tournament, so that's a big loss for uh, Mexico, and they start out the tournament uh, with only a point. So we'll see what they... Uh, what they come up with going forward in this tournament. I still think that they, uh, they are the, uh, the favorite. When it comes to the U.S., they start off the tournament with a win against Haiti. It was not one that instills a tremendous amount of, of confidence or belief in this group. Um, but sometimes in tournaments, it's a slow burn. And you come out in the first game and you still get a win. That's ultimately the most important thing. Having said that, this is, and let's be honest, this is a team that is being looked upon with plenty of skepticism when it comes to their ability to have success in this Gold Cup, especially uh, against the likes of uh, Mexico and, and even people looking at it in Canada. This is a team that's never played together before that Greg Berhalter has put out there. Um, uh, and so this is a group that is coming together and hopefully they will grow through the tournament. When we came on air, uh, for the beginning of this tournament, I said, this is a team that has to prove to us that they are worthy of our attention and of our support and of our belief. They have to make us believe. And, you know, it was a win. And so well done, but I'm not sure that Anybody that was skeptical has changed their tune after this result. Uh, and I, I haven't necessarily changed my tune. I still am cautiously optimistic that they will grow in and we will see this team come together and find an identity and one that we can hold on to and be excited about. But it's, it's, uh, it's early days. Uh, ultimately, a, a goal from Sam Vines, the left back, was the deciding factor uh, against Haiti. A Haiti team that was... Uh, that was plucky, um, that was resilient, that, you know, asked some questions of the U.S. I thought when it comes to uh, players who were good, uh, Kellen Acosta, I thought was really good. I thought that uh, Walker Zimmerman, especially his distribution out of the back um, and just his, you know, kind of composure and the, um, you know, the way that he inhabited that type of position, I, I thought was good. Matt Turner, who a lot of people are looking in goal, did what he needed to do. We know he's not the greatest with his feet, which could be a problem um, going forward, but he's there to stop shots, which he which he did, gets the clean sheet. Um, 
uh, let's see, Shaq Moore, who came in for an injured Reggie Cannon, who before the game we found out he was injured, he wasn't going to start. I thought he had a good day at uh, at right back. Daryl DK did not start, and I know that was disappointing to a lot of uh, folks, including myself, that want to see him, but he did come in later on in the game. I thought that the insertion of him and uh, Buzio were, you know, changed a little bit of the complexion of the game, and it would not surprise me in the least if Gianluca Buzio is not a starter going forward, uh, given the way that he came in and the composure for a 19-year-old and the way that he ran that midfield from, uh, from deep. So all in all, a good result, but not, once again, anything that is going to change um, a lot of minds or win over a lot of hearts and minds when it comes to the way that this team, at least now, is being looked at relative to winning this Gold Cup. Is that a, is that a pretty clear and, and accurate assessment? Absolutely, yeah. What was interesting to me is uh, Burhalter started the most experienced lineup he could from the players that he brought to this tournament. But that did mean that for a squad where he already left out some of the U.S.'s best players. He then left on the bench some of the players that people are most excited to watch at this tournament, like DK and Buzio and Eric Williamson. And so, yeah, I mean, the first, the first half was a little bit of a slog. I mean, it was an exciting game, but slog in the sense that there weren't that many players on the field that I, I was going to learn anything new about that. I, you know, And so it was really in the second half when Buzio came on and DK and, and Williamson and James Sands were, it, I kind of perked up a little bit because it was like, okay, now we're talking. These are the guys that I really kind of had circled at this tournament that I really want to see play. And so we'll see what lineups he puts out moving forward, but hopefully we get to see more of those guys I just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, you could you could just sense, even though you couldn't hear it, you could sense the collective groans when the lineup came out, especially when, you know, Jossie Zardes is up top. And, you know, as I said on air, he is the Rodney Dangerfield of this uh, U.S. national team in that he, he, he doesn't get, I think, the respect that he deserves. I think that there are a lot of people that just have... Um, either ignored or just given up on what he what he is. And to your point, we know pretty much what he is. But Greg Berhalter also knows what he is. And I think that th- that Greg Berhalter sees a value in the consistency that he gives. Now, where that comes in terms of a level and why is this important? Because when you look around, you know, there are a few glaring um, openings right now. One is that number nine position, which we still haven't filled. And that's why a lot of people were excited and, and continue to be excited to see what Daryl DK is going to do. I also think that there's a center back position next to John Brooks um, and some other things. Because, look, uh, while we, we talk about, you know, the, the, the talent and the team, for example, that we saw in Nations League, you know, what happens when one or multiple of those players are hurt? Or what happens if they're not, they're not doing the job? They, they play a qualifier and they're bad and they're not getting the job done. You're going to need other people. And so assessing that is, I think, really, really important. And there will be players that we see here, some that jump off the screen uh, to us and say, yeah, that's a, a real possibility. And some that don't, that are going to show up in World Cup qualifying, that are going to start and that are going to star. And by the way, are going to do the same thing next uh, November and December in Qatar uh, for the World Cup. And I think that's why it's important uh, to watch this, to watch this team, and if I was a member of this team, uh, you you do to a certain extent have nothing to lose because there are lowered expectations relative to this group. But I also think you got so much to gain if and when you play well, either individually or collectively, you come together as a group and ignite 
an interest out there in the same way that we saw uh, the uh, the group that did it in uh, in Nations League. So, you know, we'll see uh, we'll see if they if they progress and evolve and get better. Uh, they are going to play a Martinique. The U.S. is going to play Martinique next, and that is not a team that is as good as Haiti. And so I think there's going to be an opportunity for a lot more joy, a lot more uh, attack, and a lot more goals, and, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're playing better, but I think that there is, once again, that, uh, that opportunity uh, going forward. Uh, anything else Goal Cup-wise uh, that we want to discuss, Mozzie? All right, uh, we continue on. Like I said, it's it's real early days in this tournament. Uh, I think the U.S. still remains one of the uh, one of the favorites. Uh, Mexico, as we talked about, is that team. And uh, you know, we talked last uh, last segment about the soccer gods smiling on us. We would love the soccer gods again to smile on us and give us a final that involved the United States and, uh, and Mexico. And don't think for a second that Tata Martino and that Mexican team isn't looking for revenge. And by the way, you know, Tata Martino, as I've said before, he is not invincible, okay? He needs a good gold cup, okay? Uh, go, uh, so we'll see if he gets that and if maybe the U.S. once again are spoilers to the, uh, the Tata experiment. Going forward, we still got a long way to go. Pretty much every single day, we have multiple games when it comes to the Gold Cup. So check that out, myself and uh, and Mossy and my friends and colleagues. Uh, whether it's uh, Rob Stone, uh, our leader, uh, hosting, uh, whether it's uh, Stu Holden and John Strong and Marisa Du and Ali Wagner and all these different folks that are uh, that are uh, that are part of our uh, part of our co- coverage, it's wonderful. I, I love these tournaments. You know, we, we, I, I try not to use the words grind or a slog. It is absolutely a marathon as opposed to a sprint. And you really have to pace yourself and have, you know, a ritual and routine. And I've done this now so many times in so many years that I'm used to it. But it's the best. It is, it is, I am so incredibly fortunate. We all are so incredibly fortunate to be able to, to be doing these things. And even two tournaments uh, in a row, bring it on. I love it. I love it. I pinch myself every time and they can pry it from my cold, dead, redheaded (laughs) hands many, many, uh, many, many years from now, hopefully. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, oh yeah, it's time for Ask Alexi. So don't go away. Okay, we are back and uh, we have a mixture of Ask Alexi questions. As you may or may not know, we have our hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. And we've been getting, well, now for the last couple of months here, some uh, some different calls uh, uh, and giving people the opportunity to actually hear their voice. And we got a couple of calls uh, this week and we're going to start out with, and listen, folks, Please leave your name because otherwise I have to do what I'm about to do uh, here, which is say, Coach from Wisconsin had this to say. I am a fan of both the women's and the men's national team. And I'm also a coach of U12 soccer here in southwestern Wisconsin. And we've done boys versus girls games that don't go very well. They just get too distracted by trying to beat the girls or trying to beat the boys. I don't think 
we would have maturity level issues if we did something like that with our first team players. But I also wonder if it wouldn't be cool to do like a once a year game, maybe it's a fundraiser where the teams are split. Uh, Lotko gets one team, Greg gets the other, uh, you know, you got to have five of each gender on the field and, and then the goalie is the goalie or whatever. But um yeah, I would love to see these teams, these players on the field together. And I don't really want to see them play against each other. I kind of want to see them play together as a team. And I wonder what you all think of that idea. Just how crazy is it? Thanks. Love the show. All right. Thank you, Coach from Wisconsin. Um, you may or may not have a uh, a name. Mossy, do you like or have you ever played co-ed soccer? I have not, no. You've never played co-ed soccer, really? Not at any sort of structured level. Should, I'm sure I've played pickup you games. You should, my where... friend. You should. It's actually, it's actually fun. My wife and I played uh, early on in our marriage, and we had a we had a blast. We had a really good time. And it's not as if she, you know, grew up playing soccer or knows a lot of soccer, but it's a simple game. It's a beautiful I take that game. back. Actually, a few years ago, I played in a rec league in Santa Monica, and and yeah, it was co-ed. We had a couple of uh, females on our team. It's fun. It's a it's a really good time. And you know, to uh to coach's uh point in terms of you know seeing the two national teams kind of mix. I I'm I'm here for that. I would love to see that. And whether it's you know from a, a charity aspect or however the game comes about, I would love to see the US women's national team and the US men's national team and have a you know have a draft and the strategy involved of how you would take you know, where you would take. And I think we've talked about this before. You have rules in place. Either you have to have, you know, five women, six women and, and five men, whatever it ends up being. But the strategy involved of of doing something like that. Now, we've talked about over the years, you know, the, um, you know, this whole concept of women playing against men. And to be quite honest, it's, it's not that fun of an exercise to do. I get why we do it, but it's not that fun of an exercise to do it. If you want to do it, go ahead. Okay. If you want to, if you want to see something like that, I'm much more, as I said, interested in a co-ed type of situation and the strategy involved and where you would put the players and ultimately what that would look like on the field where, you know, you're not just, you're not just running around, you're actually running around. And, you know, the, the competition that would be involved in something like that. Mossy, would you watch something like that? Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun? Like a, if the U.S. men and women did a draft and played a co-ed game for charity or something? Yeah, exactly. I'd be curious so, to see what that So you're like. taking, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draft Megan Rapino for my team over here, but then I'm going to take Christian Pulisic and I want to put them. And so where do I, you know, who do I put in goal? Do I have a male or a female goalkeeper? And, and, you know, the strategy of, uh, of all of that, when you could have the, you know, the national team uh, coaches, you know, be part of that. And Vlatko and, and uh, Greg could, uh, could do something, uh, do something like that. Yeah. I'd watch something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Should we go on to the next one, Mossy? Yep. This is Eric from the Bay Area. Okay. At least he left his name. Let's see what Eric has to say to us. Hi, Mossy. Hi, Alexi. This is Eric from the Bay Area. And I have a question for both of you, which I want to share with my 11-year-old son, who can show some reluctance going to Korean school every Saturday during the school year. First, what languages do you know? And second, how has this ability helped you both professionally and personally in your respective lives? 
And as an aside, if I may so, say so respectfully, respectfully, you are both wrong on the Oreo question. You need to eat Oreos with milk. Thanks for the pod, guys. It brightens up my week when I listen. Thank you. Oh, this is right up our alley, Mossy. Okay. Uh, language, which I know you are, you know, you are proficient at multiple languages, and I know that you recognize the value. So I, I'm sorry, Eric, that you're... Uh, uh, that your kid, I mean, first off, it, 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 no kid likes to go to class. No kid necessarily likes to go to language class. And it's hard sometimes for kids to wrap their, their kid brains around how beneficial learning multiple languages can be. And there's a, you know, there's a social aspect of it, but there's also a practical aspect of it, especially in this day and age where we are so international in terms of the things that we do. Now that oftentimes is lost on a kid that has to sit there and you learn how to conjugate verbs and do all, uh, do all that. I am, I am so happy and fortunate and thankful that I learned languages. And look, I, I can speak Italian. I can speak Spanish. I get by with English. Um, and I can speak uh, Greek. Uh, one language, which I know you're very good at, that has completely flummoxed me over the years is French. I cannot, for the life of me, wrap my very small brain will be you know very small brain around the French language and I, I feel like there is some sort of formula that I'm just missing and, <laughs> and that it'll click in but it has never clicked in for me Mossy well, how have how have learning languages and knowing multiple languages impacted your life no listen I think it's uh, it's a really great skill to have uh, just in general in life and particularly in, in my line of work it's absolutely invaluable so you know I was born and raised in Brazil. So I speak Portuguese and then obviously lived in the United States for many years. So I speak English. Those are the two languages I would say I speak fluently. Um, Spanish, I don't, I wouldn't say fluent, but I, I speak it very well. Uh, and then, and then recently I, I studied French and Italian and, and both of those, I was able to get to just a solid beginner's level enough to get by conversational. But, you know, in the summer of 2019, we spent, um, six weeks in Paris covering the Women's World Cup. And we were when we were out and about, I was the person that was able to communicate with locals if we had a question, if we needed to get directions or find out something. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it, it came in really handy there. And then I traveled in Italy 10 days afterwards and same thing, was able to communicate with locals. So uh, I think it's a great tool to have in general. For, for my job, you know, I wake up every morning, I read all the newspapers from the various countries. So I'm getting all the news from the horse's mouth. I, I, by part of my routine, I read uh, in Spain, I read Marca and Oz and, and Sport. I want to get the Real Madrid, Barcelona news. I read the Gazeta de la Sport. I read L'Equipe. Um, I read Globo for the Brazilian stuff. Um, sometimes even for Portugal, Abola and the Mexican and Medio Tempo. And so, you know, it's just, I have this whole sort of uh, rotation. Um, and you know, I'm able to help with the, in the when we cover these tournaments. I do pronunciate audio pronunciation files. I'm able to translate interviews um, that players do. So it's just it's something that makes me more more valuable. And so yeah, if if you want to get into uh, my line of work and covering international soccer, I would absolutely recommend uh, uh, trying to learn different languages. It, it's it's it really comes in handy. Yeah, I mean, I I, it, I not only not only did I learn it just from a you know, a classroom perspective, but then I put it into practice because I was involved in soccer and because I was traveling all around the world year after year after year and to a lot of places in particular that spoke Spanish, you know, I learned a whole, you know, kind of a, 
a, a, a soccer Spanish and all of the different jargon and the way to answer questions relative, uh, relative to soccer very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're immersed in these cultures or just when you're immersed in a sport that is so multicultural, you can't help but have it seep into uh, into your being, and it's one of the things that I that I love about our sport. I've told it, told you time and time again. The fact that this is a sport that is shared all over the world makes it incredibly appealing to me, and that there are so many different languages involved is wonderful. From a from a practical perspective, you look at someone like. Um, like Kate, Kate Abdo, who I think speaks like five or six languages. And, and look, she speaks them fluently. It's pretty, it is an amazing thing to see. And so there is a communication aspect of it that she has an advantage and, and, and has incredible value that she brings. But there's also, you know, she gets gigs, she gets jobs. She is in, she is sought after because of her ability to do that. And whether it's just an ability to work a, uh, you know, a, a show or something that's in a completely different language, whether it's ability even in real time to translate stuff that's going on, it makes her, like I said, incredibly valuable. So, you know, once again, making and, and having young <laughs> kids appreciate that and understand that is not always easy, okay? But to the extent that you can and that you can point to anybody out there and say, these people out there recognize the value. And by the way, you don't have to necessarily be fluent, okay? You know, communication is, is done in a lot of different ways. But having even a rudimentary understanding uh, and be able to, quote, you know, get by in different languages, it makes it immensely more, um, not just easy, but enjoyable to, be, to understand and to be able to communicate with people out there. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. Because, you know, I went to, I remember going to, <laughs> being, you know, in my, in my car and driving to learn Greek classes. And just, it's the same actually when it comes to music. I remember going those two blocks down to Mrs. Van Heusen's piano lessons and cursing my parents for sending me down. And I, I didn't appreciate it at the time. And I love them so much for, to a certain extent, forcing me to do it because of, you know, music is a language, but exposing me to that language. And the same is true for any traditional type of language sitting. But I get it. You know, it's hard uh, for kids to understand that. They will appreciate it. I'm just telling you uh, uh, right now, Eric, they will appreciate it. It just might come much later in terms of their appreciation when they recognize the value. Uh, anything more from there, Mossy? Well, it's funny. I was on the topic of language. I was having this debate with somebody the other day about Marcelo Bielsa and the fact that um, he doesn't answer questions in English because he said he wants to be able to give thoughtful answers to people's questions. And his English is so rudimentary that if he were to answer in English, he would have to give really simple answers. And so he thinks it's more of a sign of respect of giving a thoughtful answer in Spanish and having somebody translate. Um, and so I was debating with a couple of people and one of them said, no, I think, you know, it, the greater sign of respect is at least making an effort to speak the language of the country. And, and the other person agreed with Bielsa. And I kind of think how Unai Emery was treated, you know, with his English. And if maybe he doesn't regret that and, and maybe should have gone the route Delsa, because Unai Emery is a very, very smart guy that became this, this source of ridicule in England. Uh, so I don't know. Do you, do you have an opinion either way on that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's also different cultures that, that, <laughs> that accept or more readily accepting of someone trying. I mean, when I was, when I was in Italy, for example, they loved the fact that I would even try. 
Okay. And I butchered it. I mean, I was speaking at times I was saying sentences that had English, Spanish, <laughs> Italian, and maybe even some Greek thrown in there. Okay. But they, they love the fact that I try. Now you do that in France and eh, might not have the, 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 uh, the same reaction over there. I do think that it, it is a form of respect. And I do think, especially when you are a guest in somebody else's country and somebody else's culture, that it behooves you. There's a practical perspective where I think you really it's going to help you out um, in terms of communication. But I think there's also a part of it that it it shows that you are respectful of uh, of the country and the culture and the people that you're in. That you are making an effort and you are taking the time to try to learn that uh, to learn that language. And if you already know it going in, that's even uh, that's even better. And once again, you're even you're even more valuable. All right, we got one more here, Mossy, and we're going to take this one actually from uh, the old Twitter machine. What uh, what do we got? Uh, last question is from Jay Estrada. Uh, as my kids get older, the more enjoyable it is to watch U.S. men's national team games. Same experience? Question mark. Interesting. Um, I'm I'm not sure that it, it's relative to me aging, and I do think that it is. You know, it points up a you know, a, a kind of natural evolution and progression uh, that uh, that American soccer has taken. In that, you know, when when Christian Pulisic came to came to be, there was you know all of these examinations and deep dives into his background and you know, how does this happen and, and what what was done or what wasn't done, all that kind of stuff. And you know, you come to find out that he comes from a household of soccer in that his mom and dad played soccer, in that soccer was always part of the landscape. And you see that more and more. And I'm not talking necessarily that mom and dad play professional soccer, although we, we certainly have those. But it's just that, that soccer is an accepted sport. And we are seeing now generations that are coming to be and families that are coming to be where the game of soccer is so much more accepted. And in that, it's traditions that are always part of family. And you want to impart that. And you want to share that with the people that you love. And sometimes it doesn't even have anything to do necessarily with the sport. This is just what you're doing. And whereas there was a time where, you know, going to a baseball game or watching a baseball game or going to a football game or watching a football game was what you did and what you ultimately wanted to share with your kids through, you know, through your family, I think more and more that sharing process happens to include soccer now. And whether it's, you know, you went to the World Cup and fell in love with the game in 94 or in 1999, and it's never left you. And you ended up marrying somebody who shared that experience and, you, you played uh, growing up and you guys, you know, a, uh, a family played soccer in high school or played soccer in college and then went on to do different things and different jobs or, or whatever. But that soccer type of connection and more importantly, the value and the validity of that game is never in question in these households. And these households continue to be created. And within that, you know, once again, to your point, uh, Jay Estrada, it's it's fun and it becomes a new tradition. It becomes a new 
ceremony and ritual ritual within your house. Now, does it does it become stronger as as you get older? I don't know. Um, you know, for me, I'm not, I don't necessarily think that it is that it, that it has changed. My my family um, with my kids, they watch they watch soccer. I don't look at it necessarily as a as a tradition or as a shared tradition uh, that we do. And I don't necessarily think that it has gotten more enjoyable or or less enjoyable. It's it's just enjoyable. And you know, my kids. You know, whether whether they like it or not, to be quite honest, uh, will have grown up in a household where soccer is celebrated, soccer is accepted, and you know that comes from you know, the, in this case, it's uh, you know, parents who have had soccer in their lives in, to different extents, um, and I love it. I love that there are soccer families now. In a very different way. I'm not talking about soccer moms and, and that kind of stuff or that whole phenomenon through the 70s and 80s. But now when you you know get into the 90s and you get into the aughts and now where we are right now, there are these families that view soccer as you know part of their experience and part of their um, part of their landscape, certainly, and part of you know, part of their 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 fiber, I guess, if you will. I love it. I love it. So I'm glad that you are enjoying it. That you are enjoying it even more now as you get older is is great. I don't know what that is relative uh, to, but the fact that you are a part of a soccer family, that's awesome. And you're not alone. And they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's part of what is growing this sport. It's part of what is feeding this tent that gets bigger and bigger. And this this soccer family that uh, that we all that we all know and love is getting more passionate and robust and as i said uh bigger which with each with each year but also with each new generation that is so much more exposed to the game and experienced in the game and has it as part of their heart and mind uh anything else mossy when it comes to ask alexi that's it all right we're gonna take another quick break when we come back we're gonna finish up the show as we always do with my one for the road All right, we're back and it's the end of the show and I'm going to give you my one for the road. And, you know, it's it's unfortunately on a sad note. Uh, we lost Paul Mariner uh, this past week. Uh, he died at 68 of brain cancer. And for those that don't know, Paul Mariner was a, uh, a former pro uh, and an incredibly successful professional over uh, playing in England for the likes of Ipswich and Arsenal. And then he actually came over to the United States as, as, uh, as many English players did and uh, played different places here in the U.S. We know him from also his, uh, his coaching and uh, with, uh, with Major League Soccer. By the way, he was a former England uh, international too. And, um, you know, I, I have known him over the years. Uh, and you will not have found a kinder and gentler um, and funnier man than Paul Mariner. And if you ever got a chance to meet him, and you know, I, I I met him through MLS because he coached in MLS, and he worked in broadcast, and so he was always around the American soccer scene and certainly around the MLS scene. If you ever got a chance to meet him, uh, you you couldn't help but be taken by um, what a funny, as I said, and kind man he was, and. Uh, 
you know, it's an incredible loss and way too early and that we won't have that incredible wit uh, and humor. And from a broadcast perspective, uh, you know, the, uh, the inquisitive mind that he had and the way that he talked about the game. And his influence, though, continues because of all of the, diff- the different players that he had a part in. Uh, and whether it's a, a Taylor Twellman or a uh, Clint Dempsey or so many other players um, that he touched. And I think that there was part of us that didn't realize uh, how big a personality and player he was and how much he already had impacted uh, because of his work uh, in uh, in England when we got him over here uh, in the United States. And you would mention uh, Paul Mariner, and you would see people's eyes light up that hadn't had the American experience with him. And so we were so fortunate to be able to uh, to have him because he, you know, we've talked on this pod and as we talked on pretty much every pod about, you know, the American soccer culture. And he made the American soccer culture better. And we are better for having him as part of it uh, for so many years. And so my condolences go out to the entire uh, Mariner family and the whole soccer family. Uh, because we have lost a, uh, a wonderful person, uh, a wonderful man, and a huge part uh, of soccer. And if you get a chance to talk to anybody who did spend time with him, I think you will see very, very quickly how uh, important he was and fundamental he was in shaping some of, these, uh, some of these soccer players that he came in contact with. And if you came in contact with him, you would never, ever forget him. Because, as I said, of the incredible personality that he was. So, uh, sad days when it comes to the loss of uh, of Paul Mariner. But thank you, Paul. Thank you for everything that you've done. uh, And may you rest in peace. Mossy, anything uh, before we go? That's it. All right. We will be back again next week. Uh, We actually did this one because Mossy uh, was... uh, kind enough to grace us with his presence on a Monday. We've been doing it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but we get this one out uh, uh, and record this on a Monday. So it'll be out on Tuesday back on our regular schedule. We'll see if we can adhere to that going forward as we go through the Gold Cup. You never know. We got to be able to bob and weave. We appreciate you uh, bobbing and weaving with us as we get through this crazy soccer of summer. So enjoy all of your soccer. As I said, more Gold Cup pretty much every single day is uh, is upon us. We are weeks away also from the Olympics uh, showing up. And before you know it, we will be back into the uh, the the uh, uh, preseasons and all the different stuff. And obviously we have MLS that continues on, uh, NWSL, all sorts of soccer out there. I hope that you are enjoying it. Thank you so much for writing and re- reviewing and subscribing and doing all the things that you do with the State of the Union podcast. We will talk and see you again next week, same time, same place. And until then, and as always, size the day. 